Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. show we have Melissa from the UK. After a wonderful first birth with midwives in hospital, Melissa became obsessed with birth and was left shocked to realize how uncommon a positive birth in hospital was. Pregnant with her second, she chose to stay home and have a free birth, to then be harassed by child protective services and even have the cops busting into her home. After a wonderful home birth, Melissa was quickly left traumatized by being attacked by social services for almost a year. Pregnant again with her third, Melissa blazed her own path and made this birth her own. My name is Melissa Thomas. Um, I have three children aged six, four and two. Um, I live in Nottingham in the UK. Um, I'm also a service user representative for maternity services here. Um, and I got into that through my birth experiences. So I had my first daughter when I was 24. Um, it was a few days before my 25th birthday and none of my friends had had children and I'm an only child. And so I didn't know anything about birth other than what I'd seen on TV. Um, my midwife was really nice. Um, I it saw was, the same midwife. It was in hospital? Um, we see uh, midwives through our GP here. Mm-hmm. So it is a doctor's surgery, um, which not knowing anything about birth beforehand, that's your kind of expectation, really, that it's in a clinical environment. Um And I don't remember birth choices ever being discussed with me with my midwife. It was just presumed that I would give birth in hospital. And so I booked in to the hospital. And I didn't really give it any consideration because, well, I was a bit freaked out about the fact that I was going to have a baby, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I was uh, was in the middle, well, I was in the final year of my degree at the time. Oh, my gosh. I did finish. (laughs) So the baby was a little bit of a surprise. It was a surprise, yes. <laughs> I'd uh, never planned to have children. <laughs> wow. Um, but it was a, yeah, it was a really straightforward pregnancy. I, I was really concerned about labour. I didn't know what that was going to feel like. And I couldn't seem to get any clear information about what labour was actually going to be like and how I, I would know that I was in labour. Uh, and everything that people told me was just pain, just pain, pain, pain. So I thought, right, well, uh, but nothing seems to be happening. Um, I had a due date, although there was some questions about my due date. So when I went in, um, I had a scan at 12 weeks and they there were some questions about the date when I went in for a second scan um, and they changed the due date. And that's, I think the first point that I started questioning things. Mm. So I didn't I didn't really understand how they were working out the date. It seemed to me that it was um, based on the length of the fetus. Well, that's variable. For and sure. Well, and it's, it like seemed, so, it's so mind-blowing that they don't explain it. Yeah, it really is. And yet treat it as though it's some kind of definite mm-hmm. information that we totally. cannot question. Yeah. So I um, I was overdue in brackets <laughs> um, and I was booked to see a consultant uh, rather than a midwife because they wanted to just discuss options for induction. Um, so this was when I was about seven days over my due date. Um, I went to see the consultant and I queried the dating scan with the consultant who was incredibly rude to me mm. and told me that I had to have an induction, otherwise I might 
increase the chance of killing my baby. Oh my gosh. Which yeah, by the so, way, let me just say that 41 weeks and actually 41 in a couple of days is the highest likelihood of when a first time mama goes into labor. You know, so you, know. you were just entering your real birthing time, but the way that it's set up because of this crazy tiny margin after 42, you know, of, of very, very slightly increased potential stillbirth that they induce everybody at 41. I know, as, as if the baby somehow knows the exact man-made time that right. we've created. <laughs> and it was just, um, it was very upsetting, yeah. really. And I didn't, I didn't know that I could question it. Mm. Um, so when I was booked in for the induction, I just went away with this date. And it was, I think... I think that was the Tuesday and the induction was booked for the Monday coming up. And so it was on my mind, I guess. And then on the Friday, we we went out, I think, me and my partner. And then when I came home at about 11 o'clock, I thought that I felt something. But because I didn't know, I didn't know. And so I tried to put it to the back of my mind and go to sleep but I couldn't sleep and at two o'clock in the morning he was fast asleep and I was it was starting to feel a little bit different and now I was really clinging on to the idea that this might be labour but it was much slower um, than I expected it to be the build-up was really uh, subtle I suppose is the word Um, and so I think I woke him up uh, at that point, um, well, he'd been drinking, so <laughs> he, uh, he just went back to sleep. <laughs> and I didn't sleep at all, <laughs> foolishly. I uh, stayed up and woke him up at eight o'clock. And at this point, I still wasn't sure, but it was much more intense. And I was really scared as well because I didn't know what to expect. And um, because of all the stories of pain, I suppose. And totally. so I called my mum. Yeah, and my mum said, oh, it sounds like you're in labour, whatever that means. <laughs> and Yeah, this, uh, like, ambiguous mystery yeah. thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know. And she was, a- she was asking me to count the timings of contractions, which now I've had three, to be mm-hmm. honest. Just doesn't mean anything as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's no, no indication. And, and, of... No, there really isn't. And especially like every every labor, you know, a first time labor, you know, we I think you see a pattern a little bit more, but with a second, it kind of pattern goes out the window. Yes, it really does. Um, <laughs> like by the time you uh, get the hang of it, it no longer matters. Which isn't that like so parenting right there? Like it's, once... <laughs> that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. So I called the midwife after that um, and the midwife told me to just try and relax and stay at home as long as possible. Um, and so I was thinking, OK, how, how am I supposed to relax? I'm allowed to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, uh, we stayed home for a while. Um, I think my partner was just watching TV, but I was quite emotional um, because this was an unexpected pregnancy and I didn't know how it was going to change my life. I had a lot of anxieties about what having a baby was actually going to be like. Uh, And so I found it really hard to relax. Um, And at about one o'clock, I think, it was starting to get a bit too intense and I wanted some reassurance from a midwife. So neither of us drive, so we took a taxi to the hospital and... Things slowed down in the taxi, and I was really worried that when I got there, they would think I was wasting their time. Uh-huh. Which it's just so typical, isn't it, that you would that you feel that way about your own labour that you're wasting someone else's time. Uh-huh. So well, that's how there. we're that's how we're uh, exactly. trained it's to how be we're programmed, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and you know, I always think about this with media. Is like all that we ever see on the movies about birth is. A, you know, a water gush, a scream and a baby. And so, you know, when all eyes are on you and it's all about your birth and actually nobody knows that 
a lot of birth is actually pretty boring, not to the birthing mother, but kind of to everybody else. It's pretty like slow. There's not much going on for a lot of it. Um, externally, internally, there's a lot going on, of course. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of women feel this like, oh, I'm not going fast enough. And then it causes all this stress and and self-consciousness and yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and that can affect the labour goes so much, having those kinds of feelings um, that you're a burden to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I got to the hospital, um, and I suppose at the time, I just, I thought that they knew what they were doing. I didn't think that I knew what I was doing. Mm. And so I just I just wanted them to tell me what to do. Um, and so I didn't question anything. And when I got there, uh, they examined me. Um and they said I was about four centimeters. Wait, um, you cut up how how many centimeters? Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Four centimeters. Yeah. And so, um, my partner remembered that I'd wanted to use the pool, and he asked uh, on my behalf if we could use the pool, which I'm really pleased he did because I wouldn't have asked again because I felt like a burden. Mm-hmm. And the midwife said uh, the pool was currently in use but because I was only four centimetres she'd run me a bath instead um, and hopefully by the time I'd finished in the bath the pool would be free so I went and got in the bath and it was just amazing getting in that water <laughs> it really helps um, but I, I think that's when things started getting really intense and I started to feel really sick um, and I didn't I don't think I stayed in there for very long although about an hour and I decided I wanted to get out because I felt so unwell and I'd I was starting to hold my breath because mm. um it was so intense and the midwife I remember a stroke in my back and and just saying to me don't forget to breathe and it was honestly just the most simple but one of the most amazing things somebody could say <laughs> um and I was like yeah of course I, I need to breathe don't I and that really helped. Um, and the pool was actually free at that point, which was very fortunate. And so we walked down to the pool room. Um, they started running it and they had a really big birthing ball in the middle of the room um, with some long lengths of fabric hanging from the ceiling, a bit like rebozo. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I sat on the ball and pulled onto these uh, lengths of fabric uh, with my partner sat behind me. And that was incredibly helpful as well. I think it was at that point that it started to become much more internal. I started blocking out the rest of the room. Um, and, you know, in, in fairness, for a hospital environment, it was a great it was a great room. It was well designed. Um, the bed was, certainly wasn't the focus. And I don't ever remember being on a bed in the room as well. Wow. Um, That's so amazing. Yeah, it really was. Uh, there was just bean bags everywhere, and wow. she turned the lights down. Yeah, she turned so the lights. It, down, she was it, the blinds. Sorry, was it like a like a birthing suite? Was it 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 was on labor and delivery floor, or was it like its own little birth center? So I think it is a midwife led, but it is part of the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and so. Consultant-led is sort of an uh, elsewhere because you are supposedly not allowed to use the pool if you are consultant-led. Um, and so this was a midwife-led section. I'm, I'm assuming um, consultant means like obstetrician? Yes, okay. that's for high-risk uh-huh. pregnancy. But of course, the criteria for high-risk is questionable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so I was considered low risk and so I was allowed to use Paul. Um, yeah, and she uh, turned all the lights down and closed the blinds and she put some music on. Um, and, I, you know, I really hadn't considered any of this at all. Wow. Um, she just did it and she was barely in the room as well, which at the time I was actually quite anxious about. Mm-hmm. I was like, why, why isn't she here? I really need a midwife to be here to tell me what to do mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um but uh, afterwards when I reflected on it I'm actually incredibly grateful that she wasn't there and so I she Be- came because back because why me. sorry because why um because I think that 
it helps me to be able to focus on myself rather than listening to what somebody else was telling mm-hmm. me. Uh, if she had been there, I imagine there might have been more interference mm-hmm. uh, and I would have had more of an expectation that she would say, oh, you need to do this next or you need to do that. And that would have been problematic in terms of me being able to be internal and to just uh, let go, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I, just having my partner there, who I trusted completely, was was really um, beneficial. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, but she did come back to help me get in the pool, but then she quickly had to leave again. I think that the labour ward was very busy, and um, I, when I got into that pool, it was like I was in a dreamland. I was just completely somewhere else entirely, um, and I think I must have been in there. For about an hour or so and I remember saying to my partner what time is it because the midwife said she was going to come back and examine me and he lied to me and he told me it was closer to the time that she said she was going to come back and I'm so pleased he did <laughs> because I think that changed something because I knew I felt the security in the fact that she was coming back mm. I just let go and I started to push um I just could not not do it <laughs> it just happened and um I didn't think anything of it I just did it and then I don't know a little while after I started doing that the midwife came back and my partner said to her oh she's pushing is is that okay (laughs) (laughs) and the midwife was like oh no whoa you need to slow down let me to examine you first and uh I just didn't care at that point um I don't think she did actually examine me because I think she realized it was too late um, and I'd agreed to have a student come and watch as well because the student that was working at the time hadn't seen a water birth before. So the student came in um, and she suggested, I was kind of floating in the water and she suggested that I get onto my hands and knees. And so I did that. And I think I did spend a good hour and a half pushing. Um, but I don't remember the midwives there at all because they were behind me. Mm-hmm. And she I, she did she did suggest that I touch my daughter's head and I did and it was just it was just the most incredible feeling I'll never forget the feeling of her soft hair mm. and she was born um at half past seven and the midwife just quickly grabbed her and just put her to my chest and I held her in the water and I was just I was just I was just stunned <laughs> I'd never seen a newborn baby before and <laughs> it was just unbelievable to see this this baby in that I'd just given my birth I just couldn't believe it I just didn't I didn't really know how to feel I don't think I was just so shocked uh-huh. um and I spent um I spent actually quite a long time in the pool and this is very unusual um in hospitals uh i think i was in there for an hour and a half um and there was a, a changeover of midwives at the time as well which might have helped and then when the second midwife came she uh, she let me cut the cord um which is also not usually something that's given as an option to people unless you ask for it and wh- what and so about put- what about your placenta yeah, well, the placenta was still, uh, I still hadn't birthed the placenta at this point, and so, which is highly unusual. Uh, you know, usually if you're in a hospital environment, exactly, if you yeah. haven't it. given birth to the placenta within, I'd say, 15 minutes, people mm-hmm. are getting twitchy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was actually in the pool for, for an hour and a half uh, and then got out. Uh, well, I cut the cord first myself and then I got out Um and I think that, you know, I'd, I'd started to feel a little bit anxious again because I knew the placenta was still to, to come. Uh, but the midwife was amazing. She put blankets around me and she got me to squat on the floor and the placenta just came straight away. Um, and in all the time I've spent speaking to people about their birth stories, mine is a very unusual one uh, in terms of first babies as well uh, in a hospital. You very rarely get this level of um, undisturbed birth Uh in a hospital environment. Uh, But I didn't realise that at the time. I thought this was normal. And it wasn't until I I joined a um, first-time parents group that I realised how unusual it was. Mm. Um, so we, 
I think my daughter was about six weeks old when I started going to this group. Um, and I was just, I, I was just so obsessed, I guess, by this birth experience. I really wanted to know what others' experiences were like. And they were telling me the stories that I just found so shocking about induction and forceps and uh, tears and all sorts of things that I just didn't experience. And it was then I realised that my birth had been amazing. Um, <laughs> when compared to yeah, what else was out there. Yes, and these people that like they were they were really emotional and they didn't want to talk about it, whereas I just really just wanted to talk about it all the time. Um, and so I don't know. Have you heard of the TV program One Born Every Minute? Uh-uh. Uh, well, we have a show in the UK called One Born Every Minute, and it's quite controversial, um, where they film a labour and delivery ward um, in different locations across the UK. Uh, it's it's been on since I don't know it must be seven or eight years now I think and it has it has changed over time because there has been a lot of complaints about it um but this is this is something that sort of informs people about what birth is like and it is highly medicalized mm-hmm. uh, uh program um but to to feed my desire to understand birth more I started watching it um even though I'd not previously had any interest but I just was so curious and I just couldn't stop asking questions I couldn't leave it at that point and so I got some books about birth as well after that I got um birth history by Tina Cassidy Mm -hmm. Um, I love that book yeah and that was really eye-opening and I started thinking maybe I could become a midwife Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because at that point, you know, I just finished my degree when I was pregnant with my daughter um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do since I'd had a baby. Uh, So I started looking into it and then I came across um, doulas, uh, which I'd never heard of before. And so I found um, some doula preparation courses and I ended up speaking to one of the women who runs who runs the course uh, so that she could help me decide which which route to take really and I ended up doing her course um, which was incredibly informative in terms of understanding birth because you know doing a doula preparation course they teach you about the physiology of birth which you don't get on an antenatal course which is quite shocking uh-huh. <laughs> when you think about it um and it was really it was really eye-opening um so my daughter was 16 months old when I did the last course and two weeks before I went to do it I found out I was pregnant with my second (laughs) so right from the beginning I knew I wanted it to be different because now I knew that home birth was an option Mm -hmm. did you do prenatal care with a midwife or no I did until I was 30 weeks. Okay. Um, and at two weeks, we moved house, and I didn't see my midwife because I had because of where I moved to as well. Um, I was in the same county, but I, because it was um, sort of outside of the city, I was under a different branch of midwife, and so I, my, my care was going to be transferred to this other branch of midwife. Um, so I didn't see anyone for a while because we had some communication issues when I when I moved into the house. And that time when I didn't speak to them was just the most liberating time. And so from that point onwards, I decided I didn't want to have any further care. And so I wrote to them and I told them so, uh, which I thought would be straightforward, but it wasn't. Mm. So then the season one calls me after this um, and she... She's concerned about the choices that I'm making. But I think more she's concerned that I'm being pressured into making that decision rather than that it's an unusual choice, although it certainly is. Um, so then she... Um, she kind of goes through a lot of questions with me just to make sure she feels comfortable with it. And, um, and she says, yeah, you know, this is your decision. I'll write a letter to you just to say that it's understood that this is your choice and 
And so that was that was great. I was really pleased because I'd heard stories about people not getting mm-hmm. this kind of support. And and then I felt free to enjoy the rest of my pregnancy, which was great. Um, but you know, I had some some negative things happen as well. I mean, I don't know how much in detail you want me to go about about what actually happened around this birth. Because I think when I was about 36 weeks, I got a letter from social services. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised. And they said, you know, they didn't actually give me any details about why they were contacting me. They just said that they'd received a referral for our family and they wanted to know if they could offer me any support. And so I called them to tell them I didn't want their support, but I couldn't get in touch with anyone at the office. So I left a message and then I wrote back to them and I assumed that they were contacting me because I was planning to have another uh-huh. sister's birth. Um, I made that assumption and I detailed in the letter I had the right to make that choice. Um, and I didn't hear from them, so I assumed all was well. And then I, um, my son was born Uh in September it was and on the morning I woke up uh, I just I just woke up and, and I just I think I knew <laughs> it wasn't like last time but um, I just felt really emotional and I asked my partner to stay off work and he did um, and midday nothing had really picked up and so again I was I was worried that um, I'd got it wrong. Um, I did some yoga. I'd been doing yoga through the pregnancy and about five o'clock I went for a walk and then I came home. I started making some food and I went to the toilet and lost my mucus plug, which didn't happen last time. And at that point I knew and I was really excited. I was like, I was right. <laughs> I am in labour. Um, and it started to pick up gradually, but my daughter was still around. And when it wasn't until when she went to sleep at about eight o'clock, and then it really, really started to pick up at that point. Um, and I asked my partner to run a bath for me. Uh, I was sort of just sat on the on the, on the bedroom floor, leaning on the side of the bed, um, but I could barely move. And he he ran the bath, and he was waiting for me. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't get in the bath. Um, I'd, I'd hired a doula as well, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to her and I'd said I was in labour, but um, she lived quite far away, so I was casual about whether she made it or not. But uh, he helped me up. Um, I don't know how I... I still don't know how I got up off that floor. It was it was just so hard. But when I got into the water, it was, it was similar to my first birth. I guess it was a bit... It was... A, even more um, kind of surreal this time. When I got into the water, just the whole world seemed to stop. And I just, I knew I was never, I was just not getting out of that bath again. Mm-hmm. Because my, my daughter was coming, she was bringing a pool as well, but there was just, it was just, it was pointless. But I couldn't even speak. I was just, I was just, it was just me in the bath and that was it. That was the whole world. Nothing else existed outside of that. And um, everyone, well, then the doula arrived and, my partner went downstairs. Um, they were trying to find the pool, uh, like the holes and stuff, I think. But I was just in, in a world of my own and I was sat in the bath and and then just I, I leaned back and just let out this just massive roar, I guess, <laughs> and uh, started bearing down. And you, I was kind of half, I was kind of reclining Um Leaning back, I had hold of the uh, handles on the side of the bath, and I think my doula recognised the sound. She knew. She came upstairs. The bathroom light had been on, so she turned it off, and she sat down next to the bath. And I think it must have only been twenty minutes, and he was he was born. Um, again, I, I put my hand down and, and sort of had my hand on his head because it's just such it's just such an incredible thing to do to hold someone's head as being born. And I lifted him up to my chest and. He was all covered in vernix, um, which was very, my, my daughter wasn't. And I was, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I'd, that I'd 
I'd done it again in such a completely different way as well, where I'd felt completely conscious of my body and what it was doing, mm-hmm. um, which, which I just didn't feel the first time. But yet at the same time, I'd completely given into my body as well. And it just did whatever it had to do. Um, and I was just along for the ride. <laughs> you know, your mind just isn't there. Um, and it was amazing. But then seven days later, I had a social worker turn up um, on my doorstep, which wasn't expecting. Um, and she wanted, she wasn't expecting to see me having given birth either, I don't think. Mm. She was coming because she wanted to have this discussion about my birth choices. Um, and so we refused to let her in. Um, and she had said, um, if she brought back the referral papers, would we allow her entry to the house? So I said, yes. And so she went back to her office and came back an hour or so later. Um, you know, by which point we'd sought some support and they'd advised us to record the conversation. Um, she came back and she escalated the case to a child protection case. Oh my gosh! Uh, because because my son had been born, and also because of my daughter. Um, Wait, also because of your daughter? Mom, yeah, they included her as well. What did she have why. to do with it? it? I have no idea. Yeah, okay. It was. I still don't know. I still never really got any answers from them. But we still refused the entry to the house, but we did record the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all quite, it's all quite frightening, that kind of language, you know. Totally. Or we have child protection case. It's not so what, what you want to hear when you're smoking in postpartum. Right. What was the, um, like, technical reason or concern? Or was it, like, neglect? Well, I, I got the referral papers and it was actually my community midwife who had referred me to social services mm-hmm. and the reason for the referral was given as plans to self-deliver at home without medical assistance, mm-hmm. um, which is no legal basis to make a referral to social services. Wait, say that again? I was very, it's not, a, there was no legal basis mm-hmm. um, to make a referral to social services for this choice. Well, that's uh, what I, very, very yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about in in England. Are you legally allowed to birth at home? Are you allowed to choose yeah. where you want to birth? Yeah, yeah, we have quite a lot of freedom of, of choice, uh, and you know it's it's protected by human rights as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't. At establishments and institutions don't get it. Right. You know, Doesn't mean that because, they res- they honor it. Yeah. Yeah. They're informed by dominant culture, not by diversity of choice in people's lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, dominant culture is if you don't have a medical birth, you must be some kind of deviant. Totally. Uh, and so they left. Um, after about a 50-minute conversation with my partner on our doorstep, but they turned up again later that night and they brought two police officers with them. Wow. Um, and basically forced their way into our house because how can you say no to to that? It's, mm-hmm. it's putting us in a very compromising position. They came in and I think basically they just wanted to fill in their paperwork because they'd opened this case and they had to close it. But in order to do that, they had to interview us and we were refusing an entry until they could brought the police. So the whole time was just very bullying and coercive. Um, and, you know, it's something that when you talk about it in words, it sounds, oh, no big deal. But the reality of experiencing something like that is, is very physically real and threatening. It's very, very threatening. And Absolutely. you feel very afraid. Yeah. And when you get like that, you know, you're in survival mode. And I'm concerned that my seven-day-old baby is going to be taken away from me. Mm. Um, There's, of course, the thoughts that go through your head when someone threatens you like that. And so this, this experience left me really 
traumatized in all fairness. I was it took me months to get over it. Uh I just I bet I'm very that. Um because after that they sent the midwives round and then the midwives kind of did their routine stuff, you know, did their postnatal checks, made like measured him, weighed him, things that I didn't really want. And I was really upset by that. Uh, but at this and, point, you're just agreeing to get everyone off your back. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just have to at this point, just, just in order to get through it. And they, the whole thing is just really just a shambles. They just don't know what they're doing. And they don't even tell us when the case is actually closed. We have to chase them up. And then when we do chase it up, they don't even know who we are, what the case is about. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever consider getting a lawyer? We did, yeah. We spoke to um, a human rights lawyer over the phone and we also went to um, speak to a lawyer face-to-face who did want to take it further, but he said, you know, it would be like a landmark case because nothing like this had ever been brought to court before. Um, but by that point, it was difficult for me to take it any further because I did actually go through a complaints procedure with social services and with the midwives, and I had an independent investigation carried out and it took nine months, um, and I basically did it on my own as well, um, and it was exhausting. Yeah. And by that point, I think I gave up because I couldn't go any further. I received a partial apology from social services, um, but they wouldn't take full responsibility for it. And the midwives, God. of course, that's me. The midwives were found to have acted within reason, um, but they did. Uh, the recommendation was that they addressed their policies around unassisted birth, um, which for me, I think, was a poor outcome. Uh-huh. But it, it says it was an independent investigation, but it was still within the NHS. It was just an NHS midwife from a different county had been brought in uh-huh. to then... Well, and, and that's you know, that's where I think so many things slip through the cracks is, you know, postpartum, immediate postpartum women are probably our most vulnerable, you know, population of people. Um, you know, when they experience things in birth that aren't okay, you know, or if they experience violence or abuse or whatever, the idea of having to navigate that trauma postpartum, feed a baby, be exhausted, heal your body and figure out how to get a lawyer and file a complaint and go against the hospital and potentially go to court. Like that's just insanity to ask of a of a mm-hmm. postpartum mom. And so, yeah, I mean, I hear, I hear stories all the time that could have, you know, been a real case where they totally had grounds where things were acting, you know, outside of informed consent or, you know, whatever, tons of stuff. But the actual energy is like emotional and, and physical energy to carry a case like that with in a postpartum time is almost, yeah. you know, unheard of. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it really shakes that time as well because so much of it for me, I just can't remember. <laughs> and I just, I just remember it being very distressing and mm-hmm. I didn't realise how how badly I actually felt Yeah. because, because my birth, the birth experience was just completely amazing. And I suppose there was some distance between my birth and then this interference. And so uh, the two things were separate and I needed to keep them that way because mm-hmm. I needed to hold on to what my birth meant to me in order to survive that postpartum experience. Mm. Um I ended up uh, having therapy in the end because I just, it was just so difficult to, to work through. Yeah. Um, but then I, um, but then I got pregnant with my third. <laughs> and so that was kind of the ultimate healing. Um, at first I was really anxious. Yeah, I was going to say, knew. it must have probably been a little scary too, though. It was it was incredibly scary. I mean, at this point, um, you know, I knew so much about birth and I'd had so much experience um, because after my son, after my second one was born, I set up a, a positive birth group um, uh, locally, um, 
uh, which I think was also in some ways a form of therapy, to be honest, just to be able to connect with other people in that way and talk about birth. And so I ran that for for um, for eighteen months, um, and that was that was really it was really good. But throughout that time, you know, I gathered so much more experience about birth and its meaning, um, and I also did a uh, an online course about international women's health and human rights which which really helped give a sort of a humanistic framework to my approach mm-hmm. um, about people's experiences of birth so I kind of went into my third pregnancy just quite defiantly really because I knew that I was doing it my way and nobody you know I wasn't going to listen to what anybody else had to say about that but how to assert that in a system that doesn't care about the way you feel was going to be hard. And I knew that and I was nervous because I absolutely could not experience social services again because mm-hmm. of the damage that it caused. So by this point, we'd actually moved to it again, but to another to another city. Um, I left booking till a bit later. Um, but when I did book in, I met the most amazing midwife. Um, and what do you mean? I even what do you mean, book in? Uh, so we we refer to your first appointment as a book in appointment oh, okay. because that's kind of when you do all of your paperwork. So you still were willing um, to go do prenatal care with a midwife? Well, this was the thing. I wanted to have an unassisted pregnancy as well, but. I knew that if I had an unassisted pregnancy and an unassisted birth, when I notified that birth, um, it would be it would be flagged up because it was on my record mm-hmm. that I'd had contact with social services. And so if I'd had no contact with any um, kind of healthcare professional and then they got this notification, um, I would it would likely be the social services were sent ahead of anyone else. And I didn't want that to happen. Um, because it could be considered a concealed pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I decided I needed to book in for my own security um, because I would book in and opt out of care is essentially what I was going to do. And so I went uh, to the booking in appointment with this intention, um, but before I even booked, the midwife was just incredibly respectful I'd never had things presented to me as choices before, and she presented them all as choices. And so I felt like I could talk to her, which was helpful. It was a relief because I needed to be able to trust someone in order to get what I wanted. You know, I needed to know that I could say to somebody, you need to just let me do what I need to do without making any referrals. I had to have that security. So like most midwives, in this country work for the NHS, but there is a group of independent midwives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, independent midwives mostly um, deal with uh, women who um, can't get their needs met by the system. So, you know, a lot of like EBACs or twin births, stuff like that, uh, because they are not accommodated for within policy and even practice. Um, and so I did contact an independent midwife as well because I wanted to have the assurance that um, that she could be a buffer between me and the system should I need that, should I feel that the NHS were going to be too difficult for me to navigate. But as it turned out, the, the NHS were okay. So I spoke to this amazing midwife and then after that I requested immediately to see the supervisor at home um and we booked an appointment for her to come around so that i could just essentially say i don't want any more care and that's what i did and and my partner was there as well and she she was really nice she was really understanding she obviously had a very different view and different approach to birth but she uh she listened and she said you know she would do whatever she could make sure that the experience that I'd had last time didn't happen again and that's all I needed to hear um and I was relieved you know after that I just all I had to focus on was being able to let go of the the trauma that I still had hold of I guess 
Um, and so I really just, just through the pregnancy, it was a very, very internal pregnancy, just really within myself, just trying to understand, I suppose, in some ways. Um, and, and it was great because it was just so... I could just do whatever I wanted. It was just... Yeah, you could relax. Buying for me. Yeah, and I really relaxed into it. Um, and it was a good job as well because he didn't come until 43 weeks. Um, well, those last few weeks, I think, were... They were hard. They were really hard, but they were needed in some way. Hard how? Um, because you were nervous or just physically hard? Because just physically hard. I had two other children to look after. Oh, yeah, um, that, never that, had a that whole thing. That long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. And I was so, it was so heavy. You know, pregnancy is just exhausting anyway. And I was, I was a little bit nervous about what's going to happen afterwards because of what happened last time, you know. All I can see is the same pattern because I've not experienced anything differently yet. And so the worry is always going to be there that social services are going to turn up. Did you unless... have Did you have any nervousness about the actual birth or doing it on your own again or any of that? If other than child protective services, no, I didn't really mm-hmm. because I felt I felt like I I'd know. I just felt I'd know mm-hmm. if something wasn't right, then I knew and I knew what to do. And not only did I know what to do for myself, but I know the difference between being able to assess something and things that I can adjust in my own environment and things that are normal, that are often portrayed as being not normal, mm-hmm. um, and when to cross that line into medical care. And so I felt really confident about that. There was, I had no questions in my mind about, about that, really. Um, so walk, walk me through your, your second free birth and your third birth. Yeah, so I was spent a lot of time waiting. It felt like it was never going to happen. And then my son wouldn't go to sleep one night. Um, so we were just hanging out together in bed. And I got up to go to the toilet. And when I came back, I was in labor at that point. It was <laughs> like three in the morning. And I was just like, again, I was like, is that labor? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'd better not put too much on it just in case it isn't. And so I thought, right, I better get some sleep just in case it is. And so I went to sleep and then woke up um, as my partner was about to leave to work. He was just stood over the bed and I woke up and everything was a bit bleary. And then I was just, just straight away at contraction. And I was just said to him, you can't go to work. I'm in labor. And he just couldn't believe it because We've been waiting so long. And um, and you said baby came at 43 weeks? Yeah, so this was 43 weeks exactly as well. Um, uh, You're, I'm sorry, the, are you saying 42 or 43? 43. 43, okay. So that last week, was that mm-hmm. nerve-wracking at all for you to, to be so beyond this idea of a due date, or you just knew enough about it that it was normal? I just knew enough that it was normal. And I, uh, you know, they have to come out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wasn't really, again, I just I just felt I would know if if it wasn't okay. And I, I think that you can say things like I would know. And, and for some people, that can be an inspiring thing to hear. And for others, that can be a scary thing to hear. Mm-hmm. And I can, like, understand that perspective because saying I just know is really a hard thing for others to hear because it's not something anybody else can understand Mm -hmm. and it's also a hard thing for a person to explain well and it requires a huge amount of self-trust self-confidence you know maternal wisdom in you know physical connection like it it requires you know to to believe and I I feel the same way that and you know I've attended enough births that I've seen that women do just know. There is, you know, even women who, let's say, don't know a ton about it and they're on their first baby, I've seen home births where the mom just kind of is like, something's not right, and then we go to the hospital, you know? So there is, Mm -hmm. it is hard to explain, but it is is something that 
a lot of women do trust or, or maybe not a lot, though a lot of the women I talk to, you know, do trust. So I understand. Yeah, definitely. I do. I mean, as well, because it wasn't even just about uh, my body or the process, but for who I was as a person and the experiences that had shaped me until that point, nobody else knew those things about me except me. Uh, and, you know, I think all of those things are very important as to how you actually experience birth as well. Um, I'm just going to go and check on my youngest because I can hear him crying. Okay. Um, so I'll just a couple of minutes. Hey, listeners. If you're liking what you're hearing, leave me a review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get seen by more potential listeners. Let's get these stories and this important information out there. Now back to the show. Yeah, so I asked him to stay home, and he stayed home. He went and called work. And then I stayed upstairs, I think, most of the time. Everyone else was downstairs. And then um, at about... Oh, well, my daughter was at... My daughter was at preschool at that point as well, so... My uh, my partner had to go and drop her off, and I was upstairs in the bedroom. He brought me some water, and he left. And I started sorting through a lot of boxes. It just felt like the thing to do. I don't know. <laughs> it felt like some kind of mental preparation, I suppose. You know how, like, filing can be kind of um, therapeutic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little bit like that, I think. I just started through all these papers and it just felt like uh, a relief. Um, And he came back and things were getting really tense, really intense, much more intense than the previous two. I was, uh, I got up and I started walking around the room and just from the contractions, I was sweating. And I'd never experienced anything like this. Um, So I asked my partner to go and run a bath and uh, put some music on because I needed to distract my mind. And no doula that, this time, right? No doula this time, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I, I. It felt like the the best decision for me this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put some music on because I think my mind was very much engaged in a different way this time because of the additional layer of anxiety that I had because of the last experience, and so it was really hard to disengage my mind. Music really, really helped. Um, and I just spent a lot of time kneeling on the floor next to the bed again, like I did my second, just swaying around a little bit. Got some cushions stacked up. And uh, so, I, yeah, my uh, partner ran me a bath. Um, and then he had to go back out to go and pick my daughter up from preschool again. And I got in the bath while he was out. Oh, when I got got in the water, it didn't have the same effect that it had previously. In fact, it had no effect whatsoever. And I was horrified. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in so much pain. The pain was just so intense. And I, I just, I didn't feel good. I was like, I, I'm not actually sure I can do this. Um, and then my partner came back. And by that point, I... I couldn't, I couldn't speak anymore. And I think he came up and he knew. So he came up and he sat with me. And, um, and he held my hand. Um, and it seems like just a very natural and gradual transition uh, from being this really intense to me actually, actually pushing. Um, but it, there seemed to be very little difference between the two things. Um, I mean, it was just, it was almost as if I couldn't contain the experience within my own body. It was so big. Mm -hmm. It just felt so epic. Um, And I had hold of his hand. um, And I I just, honestly, I had my mouth as wide open as I possibly could, making the loudest noises I possibly could, because it felt like the only thing that could actually get me through getting him out of my body. And, and my water broke, which I hadn't experienced like this again in the other two days. It was just a really loud pop. 
and my um, my stomach visibly like wrinkled up as well. I Whoa. think he must have descended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just weird. And um, and I was, I was kind of laid on my side in the bath, and I lifted my leg up. Uh, bent, my knee was bent, so I lifted it up, and I kind of had it resting on the side of the bath. And his head started to emerge. And I thought, again, I put my hand down because I just love that feeling to get soft hair <laughs> and scalp. And um, his head was coming out. And, and it was just, just, I don't know, it felt like slow motion. It really did. Um, and then his head was out and I could feel him moving around. And um, another contraction came, and he didn't—he didn't come out any further. And I was like, I can't—I can't give birth to him in this position. And mm. I, I just—I know I can't. I have to stand up. Um, so I asked my husband to help me stand up. And when I stood up, I, I just felt—I just felt like the most grounded powerful person that lived <laughs> and I just and I stood up and I kind of bent my knees put my hands down and he just came out in just one just swoosh mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess and I just lifted him up to my chest and I looked at him and I was just like you are massive <laughs> you are one big baby <laughs> and he was huge he looked visibly my Enormous. Um, <laughs> like, how much do you think you weigh? Well, what he actually weighed was eleven pounds one ounce. Whoa. Um, <laughs> my other two had been eight, eight, and eight four. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure what that translates to in kilograms, uh, but yeah, eleven pounds one ounce, uh, like five kilograms something. Mm-hmm. I think. But he, yeah, he, you could see, I could see. I, well, well, I thought when I saw him, he must be at least 10. And did you have, um, did you have then, any vaginal tears or lacerations? No, none. Mm-hmm. I've never torn with any of my birth. Um, and I, I, I had hold of him and then I went to sit back down in the bath because I was really, really sore. And I couldn't move. I just could not. I was. I felt like concrete. Mm. I felt I was completely frozen. And then I think, well, I don't think. I, I always feel like I have to justify it. But I feel that I was in shock. Yeah. Uh, like a physical shock from the experience. Um, I felt really, really awful. So I asked my partner to call the midwife. I wanted to come around. We called her and asked her, but she uh, she called the paramedics instead. She didn't come round. So the paramedics came, um, and they were really, really nice, actually. They were really friendly. Um, and I cut the cord again myself, and then uh, I still hadn't uh, birthed the placenta, but they asked me if I wanted to go to hospital, and I, I was... I, if I made the decision now, I would have said no, but I went. And so I went to hospital. Um, but it was a really amazing experience going back to hospital. It was like full circle because I got there and the midwife, she went to go and uh, pull on the cord to take the placenta out manually. And I was just like, you need to stop. I haven't yet fed my baby. Let me feed my baby and the placenta will come on its own. And I did that. The placenta came. I put it in a bag. I I don't want any examinations. I don't want. I didn't want anything from them. So they basically didn't touch me at all. They just took me up to a ward, and then I discharged myself the next morning and went home. Um, and it was just really quite. Uh, I hesitate to use the word, but empowering, <laughs> because I just got to um, assert myself, I guess, in ways that I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. Um, Why do you hesitate to um, use that word? I don't know. I guess it gets used so often. Um, 
But like, it's the right words, you know, it does describe the feelings and the experience. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you, you mean you felt, felt you felt powerful. I did, and it felt it felt very meaningful to me as well because mm-hmm. I remember I didn't sleep at all. I was just I just stared at uh, my baby all night and just had hold of him in my arms. And then um, the next morning, I could hear all the other women talking, and I was just like, you know, I've come so far since I was very first pregnant that very first time. I don't belong here anymore. And I was really pleased that I was able to access their services when I thought that I needed it mm-hmm. um, without having to become tangled up in some political debate yeah. about my birth. And it was that was just amazing. I think that really helped me just let go. It's like a graduation. Um, yeah. And I went home and I just spent days in bed because I just felt like an enormous bruise is how I described it. And, you know, at first I felt really unsure, but then as I started recalling the birth and feelings and everything that I'd been through since I was first pregnant, I just I just felt amazed. I just felt completely transformed inside and out as a person. Um, and his birth, although it was the hardest of all three, for me, was the most important, the most exceptional experience ever. Um, it was hard. It hurt like hell. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. I love it. I love. I love when women talk that way because it is this invitation to consider, I think, for other women who haven't birthed yet, that just because birth can be hard and painful doesn't mean we have to shy away from it, you know, that we can actually really lean into that and find tremendous power and strength in a challenging, you know, confronting experience versus like, you know, the way it gets painted is let's try to have the most pain-free, shortest birth possible, you know, with as many interventions and avoiding avoiding it as much as possible but really there's so much power in just diving into it and saying yes yeah definitely I really I I really enjoy telling people about that birth purely because I want them to hear that birth can be painful yet amazing at the same time yeah it doesn't have to be easy to make it amazing um because I think, you know, these things do get polarised and people do get different impressions about what birth like that might mean. So, you know, because I had a free birth, people make presumptions about what that means. Mm-hmm. They think that I might be aiming for a pain-free birth or something of that notion, but that's not what it's about for me. Uh, you know, even the fact that I went to the hospital afterwards to is is part of that experience is important to that experience because of what it meant to me uh as well totally. um and i you know i think that it's an important message to just neutralize that kind of duality that's going on in birth which is just so detrimental to people being able to you know achieve what they want from the experience yeah, and, and how challenging it was, you know, in your process to just have anybody from the beginning just tell you what it was going to be like to then your second birth, you're actually taking the power and you're birthing at your home and then the system makes it really difficult and scary for you. And, um, you know, and then the third, you ask for a midwife and instead you get, you know, 911 to the hospital. It's like, but everything internally that was happening with you and the baby was always 100% normal. Yeah. Yeah, in, in all three births. Yeah, and I guess for me as well, it just highlights how fundamentally flawed the system is and how mm-hmm. it can it can never accommodate people's true needs because it's you know, it's a system that's built to just appease a mass population. It's not about subjective experience and that's where we need to begin, you know, like locally 
Well, and, um, and what they're really good at is emergency. You know, they're really good at emergency, yeah. 911 and ambulances and paramedics and high risk doctors and NICUs. And, you know, all of that is really, really good when there's something wrong. Um, you know, so we, we're great. Yeah, we're grateful for that. But when something's not wrong, you know, nobody's trained in normal. Nobody's trained in yeah, how absolutely. to, how to be chill. <laughs> Yeah, they need a, you know, they can, ex- they could certainly expand upon the model that they currently have to incorporate normality rather than everything being about and based around risk and fear. Mm-hmm. Um, because we sure do need some of that. And, you know, but it's, uh, it's hard to bridge those gaps, I guess, because, you know, to, to some extent, I guess that's what doulas and independent midwives can do. You know, and they, they're much more experienced in just normal and it being every day and it not being uh, risky. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to find a way to integrate the two things to be part of the same continuum rather than it being inside the system or outside the system. Totally. So it, like, that's oh. such a good point because as a you know person who's attended births for a long time, I... I feel like I'll spend, you know, 30 weeks with a couple teaching them about what is normal. And then they just walk into a hospital and are treated like everything is pathological and everything is, you know, everything's an, an, an emergency waiting to happen. And, you know, that's, that's confusing. That's confusing to everybody involved. Um, but, but the bottom line is that we need alliance, you know, we need bridges. We need, we need both models to know what, is normal and what is not normal. And if midwives, you know, I mean, maybe it sounds like more so in your country than mine, if midwives in my country, you know, could really be respected as the guardians of normal birth, you know, who are very, very good at catching what is not normal because they see normal all the time. And so when something's not normal, it stands out. Um, you know, whereas if you're, you know, trained in pathology, like an obstetrician is, and you have your pathology goggles on, if you're looking to find something funky, you know, you find what you look for. It's not hard to interpret the shadows on an ultrasound as something questionable if you're looking for something to be wrong. Yeah, definitely. I mean, here as well, midwives are, you know, trained with the medical model. They're not kind of sent out to home births. They're, Mm -hmm. They're trained in in hospitals and you know like normal midwifery here there there, i mean there certainly are a lot of differences between um this country and and yours but uh, midwives are under threat here serious threat and their autonomy and their their value and their knowledge is being eroded all of the time and it's quite frightening yeah Uh, i really we're really worried for that and what that might mean for the future because currently we don't even have enough midwives. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a serious midwife shortage in, in in this country, and you know, like I say, most of them are trained as medical models, and most of them are, you know, they do treat birth as pathological. Totally. Um, well, they have, you know, to yeah, to survive them. in their model, they have to be medical, which yeah, is just a part of the same umbrella. Well, we do we do need to to wrap up. Um, but yeah, thank you. I loved your stories. And like you said, what an awesome full circle to go from your first birth in the hospital, really not knowing anything about it and just having your body have this experience and then circling all the way back to transferring after your second free birth and discharging yourself and saying, I don't need to be a part of this this system anymore. Nothing's wrong. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. It was a pleasure. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.